We are in Philippians chapter 4 today. Uh, next week I'll end the book of Philippians in uh, the worship service, and I'll end the, the book of Jude in the Sunday school class. So bringing those both to an end next week. Uh, it's interesting, God's providential timing, how this all worked out, and we're so grateful. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 4. 14 uh, through 19 today, the gift of giving and receiving. So you know, the, you know how this verse goes, God so loved the world that he gave, right? Godly love leads to giving. Love is demonstrating our love is demonstrated by what we are willing to give for the sake of others. That was how God demonstrated His love to us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how we demonstrate love as well. What, what are we willing to give up for the sake of someone else? Galatians 1.4 says that Jesus gave Himself up for our sins. Titus 2.14 likewise says, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. So generous, sacrificial giving is Christ-like. That's how he gave, and when we give generously, sacrificially, that is being like Christ. And sometimes we're on the receiving end of the giving, as Paul was here in Philippians, and he is writing a kind of a thank you note back to this church of Philippi for their generous support of him. And he uses this opportunity of giving thanks to them to also include some important spiritual instructions for them and for us. So in these few verses, Paul talks to them about the sharing of the gift, the fruit of the gift, the sacrifice of the gift, and then finally, the overwhelming gift. So first of all, the sharing of the gift. This is in verses 14 through 16. Paul says to them, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. The sharing of the gift. And he, he begins with a much needed clarification. You know, sometimes we, we say something and we realize, well, that could have been taken the wrong way. And so we need to give a kind of a word of, explanation or clarification. Well, I meant this and not that. To kind of clarify, this is especially true, I think, in uh, more modern forms of communication like texting or emailing uh, because you can't read someone's expression and uh, it's just different than being right with them. And so sometimes we can be misunderstood or we misunderstand someone else and sometimes a word of clarification is needed. I think this is what's going on here with Paul. Um, so, 
we look back at verse 11, remember what, he, what we saw that he said last week. Regarding their gift, he said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And then he expands on that. Whether I'm abounding or being abased, whatever it is, I'm content in Christ. Well, of course, that could be taken as not that I speak in regard to need, like I didn't really need your gift, so why'd you give it? I'm content anyways. And so just to, to clarify this, that he's not meaning it that way, he's just trying to, he's making two points here. One is, because I am content in Christ and he supplies all my need, then um, I'm, I'm content. But that doesn't mean the gift isn't good. The gift is still great, and he's going to expand that here now. He says, um, nevertheless, or your version may say, yet, you have, you have done well. You've done, you've done a good thing. It's a really good thing you did. You, the, this word well can sometimes be translated noble. It's a noble thing you did, and honorable thing the ESV says it was kind of you he's trying to confirm to them yes I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me but but it was kind of you to think of this it was a good noble thing that you did and then he talks about how they're sharing with him uh, verses um, 14 through 15 especially, you shared in my distress. And verse 15, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So you shared in my distress. So he's, he's in a, a situation of distress. You remember his being chained in, in Rome and um, the only thing he, he had to eat was what people brought to him. He couldn't order out. Um, he was dependent on the kindness of other believers. So he was in this distress, but they shared with him. But it's interesting that he uses the word share. Uh, he doesn't refer to their gift as money, but as sharing. He's, he's including them in it. This is a sharing together in the gospel ministry, basically. And the word share or shared is that common word koinonia, which means fellowship, normally translated fellowship, but it means to partake of something together or to share in something together. And Paul has used it earlier in the book of Philippians to talk about uh, fellowshipping or sharing in the grace of God or fellowshipping or sharing in the gospel of Christ. And so now talking about sharing in his, minute, his distress even, that they are helping him in this time. So when we, we give for the sake of others, we are, we're sharing with them, sharing our, our life, sharing our resources with them, doing life together in that sense. And you, you shared in my ministry, verse 15 and 16. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when, when I first came... 
uh, to Macedonia. Remember, he was in Asia and got the Macedonian call by a vision, come over and help us. So he goes over to Macedonia, the northern region of Greece, and he goes to this city called Philippi, gets thrown in jail, but God uses it to bring a Philippian jailer to uh, salvation and other people there at Philippi. And so it's the beginning of the gospel uh, in Europe, starting in Macedonia. But not only that, when I departed Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So they were, they were helping Paul even when he left that region, when he uh, went down to Athens, when he went to Corinth most notably, and he spent 18 months there in Corinth, they supported him the whole time. So he was a tent maker by trade, but they were making up for what he lacked. In verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, when, when Paul left Philippi, he went down to Thessalonica. And even there he says, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So from the very beginning, and even after he left Macedonia, they were supporting him. Now, the church at Antioch was the first missionary sending church. But this is the first church we know of that was a missionary supporting church. And he says that no other church shared with me, but you only. So they were sharing in his ministry as well. Um, so just a, a short sideline here. I want you to look at the book of 3 John. Uh, just before the book of Jude, which is just before the book of Rev Revelation. So 3 John, also conveniently located after 2 John. 3 John, we'll look at the last chapter, verses 5 through 8. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. That is, believers who are passing through and they're they're hosting them, entertaining them, putting them up. Who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of the gospel, you do well. Because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, just like Paul did. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So the idea here in 3 John is, as these missionaries come through and you support them and you send them on their way, sending them on their way doesn't mean simply you say goodbye to them. It means that you support them. You give them monetary assistance so that they can go on their way. This is supporting missionaries, supporting evangelists back then. And he's saying is, it's a good thing to do that because um, that you may become fellow workers for the truth. So to the extent that we support others who take the word of God out, whether it's in our own community or whether it is um, across the United States or across the seas, we are fellow workers for the truth. We are sharing in that ministry. We are a part of that, and 
so Sherry and I were on the receiving end of this ourselves, being having been missionaries in Africa, and we very much felt the the kinship and sharing of other churches as they not only supported us but wrote letters to us, sometimes sent uh, special gifts to our kids and so forth. It is a it's a sharing together in the work of the Lord and how we ought to see it. It's not just giving money so they can go. It's actually sharing with them in the ministry. So uh, back to Philippians. This is basically what he's saying to them. You're sharing with me. You, verse 14, you shared in my distress. And even when I departed Macedonia, so I went to another region, you shared with me in this. So the sharing of the gift. Secondly, the, the fruit of the gift. This is verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm, I'm not sitting here really hoping you'll send me a gift as much as I am wanting fruit for you. That's a greater thing. Paul was rejoicing in their gift. He just said it's a good thing. It's a noble thing that you did, but not just because it was a blessing to him, even though it was, but more importantly because their gift resulted in spiritual fruit for them, for the Philippians themselves. They give, but they're getting spiritual fruit because of their giving. Uh, the way Paul says this, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. It, it, the fruit abounds to your account. The ESV says it increases to your credit. If this sounds like financial banking terms, it is. In fact, this particular word abounds or increases is a word that refers to, that in that time referred to the multiplication of compounding interest. It is increasing into your account spiritual benefits. This is saying, your gifts to me are actually multiplying your own spiritual interest for the treasure that you are laying up in heaven. So they're giving to Paul in his ministry, but they're getting in return something in their bank account in heaven. Remember Jesus said, lay up treasures for yourself where? In heaven. And he's saying, here's one way that you're doing that as you... As we give to the Lord's work, it lays up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And the principle that those who give generously will be blessed is taught throughout Scripture. Let me just read a few of these passages to you. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says, There is one who gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever Brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will be, and he will reward them for what they have done. Second Corinthians nine six, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Luke 6, 38. 
Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Acts 20.35 Remember the words of our Lord Jesus that He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When we give generously, we are blessed in this life and we lay up treasure for the next. Thirdly, verse 18 talks about the sacrifice of the gift. Paul says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He talks about their abundant sacrificial giving, first of all. And he, he gives these three statements about their giving. He says, first of all, I, I have all. In other words, I have, I have received all. ESV says, I have received full payment. It may be going a little bit too far with it because it's not really a payment, it's an offering. But the idea is still there. This was a way in Paul's day of giving a receipt to someone. Uh, these, saying these words, I have received all. So, it's like a receipt for their gift. Secondly, he says, and I abound or I overflow. NIV says, I have more than enough. I've got everything you sent and, and it's more than enough. And finally he says, I am full or I am well supplied. The three statements indicating that the Philippians had been very generous and sacrificial in their giving and that Paul is grateful. Paul, Paul here is saying, in effect, I couldn't have asked for more. So, their abundant, sacrificial giving on his behalf, but also he talks about their giving as a sacrifice. In the latter part of verse 18. And a reminder that our giving is not about our wealth, it's about our worship. When we give, it is a form of worship. And I'm, I'm glad we take up an offering. It, it is part of the worship service, the worship experience. Giving an offering has always been a part of worshiping God from the very beginning. And so... It's not just giving, it is worship. And just as Paul had used three descriptions of their sacrificial giving, now he uses three descriptions of their giving as a sacrifice. And he uses language from Old Testament sacrificial system. By doing this, Paul wants to remind them and let us know that our giving is like an offering laid on the altar to God's glory. So he says, uh, having received from Epaphroditus the things 
sent from you. Here's his threefold description. First of all, it's, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's a, a fragrant offering. In the Old Testament, in, in order to make a sweet-smelling aroma or a fragrant offering, they would often pour oil on the offering or wine on top of the offering as it's being offered. And it would be called a sweet-smelling aroma. But it's also used... In another way, it's a way of saying that God is pleased with the offering. For instance, let's go back one book to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, And walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. Notice again the, his love demonstrated in what he gave. And look at this description. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It's a way of saying it was pleasing to God. It came up to God. The sacrifice came up as a sweet-smelling aroma, pleasing to God. And so that's the very term that Paul uses here in Philippians 4 to describe their gift. It is a sweet-smelling aroma. <clears throat> it's more than saying your gift doesn't stink. It's more like your gift was really special. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Secondly, he says it's an acceptable sacrifice. And if you know in the Old Testament, it was very important that the sacrifice would be acceptable. And that was true from the very first sacrifice. Think of Cain and Abel, right? There. Two brothers, they each brought a sacrifice. But God was pleased with Abel's and not with Cain's. It was not an acceptable sacrifice. Not just anything we give to God or any way that we give to God is acceptable. Or recall the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and they, they brought strange fire and incense before the Lord. And because they brought this, in place of the rem, the, what God had said to bring, they, they brought what they wanted to bring, and God struck them dead because it was not an acceptable sacrifice. Or think about Israel's lame lambs. Uh, the book of Malachi talks about how they robbed God in bringing Him... Uh, Offerings like lambs that were with broken legs or blind or whatever. And, and same thing is true in uh, Isaiah chapter 2. He says, your offerings are a stench to me. Instead of being a sweet-smelling aroma, they're a stench to me. Because your heart is not right and you, you bring not the best but the least. And so, being an acceptable sacrifice is a, is a big statement here. It is a sweet-smelling aroma. It's, it's an acceptable sacrifice. And thirdly, it is well-pleasing to God. Not just pleasing, but well-pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 says, Therefore, by Him, that is by Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is 
the fruit of our lips giving praise, thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. When you give an offering, God views that as a sacrifice laid on the altar. Do you view it that way? So when you're giving, when you write that check in the morning or however you give, are you thinking of it as a sacrifice laid on the altar to God? See, that's how He views it. If your offering is a sacrifice laid on the altar to God, what does He think about your sacrifice? Are you giving Him the leftovers? Or the first fruits of your labor? Are you giving sacrificially or grudgingly? God loves a cheerful giver. <clears throat> and I'm not saying this to try to get you to give more. I only want you to give what God would have you to give, but to give that fully and with a joyous heart. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart in your giving. Remember the widow's might. That was well-pleasing to God. So, think about this next time you do an offering. Is it, do you view it like God does? It's an offering laid on the altar for His glory. And finally, verse 19, the overwhelming gift. <clears throat> Not only do we accrue interest in heaven when we give generously to the work of the Lord, but God also supplies all of our physical needs while we are in this life also. And there seems to be an implied if-then statement between verse 18 and verse 19. If we are giving this way, verse 18, then verse 19 will happen. The, the Philippians had sacrificially given to support the gospel ministry of Paul. In return, Paul says, God is going to amply supply your need. <clears throat> they had sown bountifully. They will reap bountifully. They're learning it is impossible to outgive God. Just try it. It's impossible to outgive God. I know people can sometimes be reluctant to give because of current or potential needs that they have. They may wonder, well, if I give this amount, if I give that much, what if? Right? What, what if I have this need? What if the car breaks down? What, what if something else happens? And Paul is saying, if you give that way, God takes care of your what-ifs. Listen, if you give sacrificially in faith, God will take care of your needs. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He supplies all our needs, not necessarily all our wants, right? 
<clears throat> as I heard one person say, um, uh, God supplies our needs, not our greeds. Our needs, not our greeds. No gift that we give will be missed by God. But no need that we have will be missed by Him either. And notice how God does this meeting of our need. Then, my God shall supply all your need, no matter what it is, according to His riches in glory. <clears throat> Not simply out of His riches in glory, but according to His riches in glory. Now, here's the difference. So, suppose I had a need, and you had a million dollars. And so, I tell you of my need, and you write me a check for $10 that, that you would be giving out of your abundance. But if you gave me a blank check and said, fill in the amount up to a million dollars, that would be according to what you had. So, God doesn't just give us out of His riches. He gives us according to His riches. This is a way of saying that, that God's ability to supply is inexhaustible. He's never going to run out. Always going to be able to supply, no matter what the issue is, no matter what the need is, you can fully, faithfully trust in Him. <clears throat> And finally, notice where these riches are. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. It is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. The New Testament consistently presents Christ as the source of all of God's riches and blessings. Ephesians 1.3 says that, that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.3 says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him, in Christ Jesus. Colossians uh, 3.2 says that our life is hidden in Christ and that furthermore He is our life. Here in the book of Philippians, Paul has said a couple of times here that we rejoice in the Lord. From beginning to end, it's, it's all about Jesus and our union with Him, our, our oneness with Him, our, our being in Him. That is the place of blessing. Seeing ourselves in Him. We know we are in Him. If you're a believer, you are in Christ. That's settled for eternity. The problem is that we don't always think about our life that way. We don't see ourselves as being in Him and, and rely on this fact that we are united with Him forever and He is our everything. And in this passage on sacrificial given, then we are drawn to Christ. All things given to us in Christ. And we're reminded of His sacrificial gift the greatest sacrificial gift of all it is by his 
sacrifice on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, that the gospel is made available. That anyone who trusts in Him can have eternal life. And we are drawn like Paul says at the, in 2 Corinthians 9 to say thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let's pray. Lord, in this reminder of giving and receiving, we're just we're overwhelmed with how greatly you gave. Uh, in fact, we cannot fathom the greatness of your gift, how loving you are, how amazing your grace, how wide your mercy that you would include us. And Lord, um, we want to be generous, sacrificial givers who give from the heart, who give to support uh, your work, the things that you are doing in this world, in, in our church and across this world. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed use our offering to further your name, the glory of your name, and bring others to know you. Thank you for the, the ability to give that you so generously take care of us and provide for us. And that even in our time of needs, you are there. You never fail us. You supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we say, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.